Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang. Mike, Mark, and Barry with you. And I got to tell you, Mark, I've really been looking forward to our guest today for a really long time. I think it's fair to say we could all use a good laugh about now. And former Reds great Sean Casey, we think, is really the man for the job. Oh, Mike, I couldn't wait for this one today because Sean Casey, his name puts a smile on my face, my former teammate. And I'll tell you something interesting about Sean Casey. He puts a lot of pride in his craft, especially from the offensive side. And he has a certain intensity that really doesn't match that mayor that you talk about. Uh, What's up, guys? I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You bet. John, the show, as you know, is called Major League Beginning. So let's go back. Cleveland picks you in the second round of 1995. You shoot through the minors. You get called up to join Mike Hargrove's Indians in 97. That was a great team. They go on to lose the World Series to the Marlins. But what do you remember most about getting the call? How would you find out? What was your immediate reaction? And and who would you tell first? You know, there's so many things in there. I was thinking about when I first got the call that I got drafted. That was like a, a great moment. You know what I mean? I remember, <clears throat> I remember getting that call. Uh, you know, back in 95, getting drafted to the Indians. But for me, it was really unbelievable. And it, it, it's so cool to talk about. I think it's one thing when, if you ask any player, you know, about that, that moment you get called up. Because, um, you know, I, I think in my mind growing up, you, you're, you're waiting for that. That's the call you want because that's the dream call. You know, you're thinking about dreaming playing the big leagues and you're dreaming about that call. I was in Iowa. We were in, we were in the American Association Finals. It was game three. Um, Unfortunately for me, uh, I, I hit a home run in the 10th inning to win the game, to win the championship, to win the American Association championship. So after the game, we were in the you know clubhouse in Iowa. You got the champagne going. You know, everybody's excited. You know, we're all kind of, uh, uh, you know, it was just a great moment. It was a great, great guys in that team. Richie Sexton, Enrique Wilson, Bartolo Colon had just been called up. Jarrett Wright was there. Brian Anderson, David Weathers. I mean, there were some studs. On this on this team that uh, that we played with in '97, and a lot of those guys were on the 40 man roster, and we're going to get bumped up. And uh, I wasn't on the roster at the time, so I just figured that after that game, I'd be heading back to Pittsburgh. And uh, you know, I, I had a good year that season. I hit 380 in the minors, and and uh, you know, really, yeah, you know, I thought I did did really well. And then, but I also realized that Jim Tomey was ahead of me too, so that was a minor problem in my uh, maybe my uh, getting called up at some point. But I get called into the office after in the, in the clubhouse, and Brian Graham, who's the who's the manager, is in there, and Mark Shapiro at the time, who's now the who's now the president of the, of the Blue Jays, he was the um, he was the minor league director. So they called me in the office. They're like, they're like, Case, congratulations! What a great game! What a great season! That's an unbelievable moment hitting that home run. And I was just so thankful at the time to just. You know, I've won that championship, and I was like, oh, man, thank you so much. What a great season. I'm looking forward to next year. And they said, hey, listen, your season's not over. We're calling you up to the big leagues. You're going to meet the team in Chicago tomorrow. And, like, like, I mean, Mike, you don't even understand. Like, for me, you know, I didn't expect it first off because I said I wasn't on the 40-man, so they would have had to put me on the roster to call me up, right? So that was a big deal. They were the best team in baseball at the time, you know, the, the Indian, 97 Indians. So I just figured, you know, they'd call up a couple guys. And so, you know, that moment for me was just, you know, absolutely phenomenal. And, and um, 
I remember thinking, man, I got to call my parents. Like, I got to call my mom and dad. And that's the first call I wanted to make. You know, and back then, there, back then there was really no, um, no cell phones. So we're in Iowa. I remember running out the clubhouse, trying to find the nearest phone. I, I run th- um, through the field, up the stands, and there's, like, pay phones in the back there in the, uh, in the concourse. I ran up there. I called, you know, I, I think I had my mom used to give me a credit card, like, you know, a calling card. I'm like, that. It's like 85 numbers, like one eight seven five. I'm pulling it out. I'm, I'm like, you know, hitting the money. There's a million freaking things. So, you know, I, I get through. My dad answers. He's like, hello. I'm like, hey, dad. I was like, a couple things. I I just hit the home run to win the American Association Championship. And I was like, and I'm, I got the call to the big leagues. And at that moment, I remember my mom was on the line, too. And my dad's like, oh, you know, my Jim, big Jim Casey. He's got that. Some passion for life. He's kind of passed it on probably to me, but he's like, oh man, he was so excited. My mom's all excited. And then it was just, uh, I started to cry. I started to cry. And my, my, remember my dad started to cry and so did my mom. And uh, it was just one of those moments. I'll never forget, never forget that call. I was by myself in the concourse. The, the fans were already gone. Maybe there was a few workers left. And I remember my dad saying, we're going to meet you in Chicago tomorrow. You know, mom and I'll be there tomorrow. And, um, you know, I remember hanging up the phone and uh, just thinking back myself to my story, just, you know, 14 years old, I didn't play all my freshman year baseball. I remember going home to my dad and saying, hey, dad, you know, I'm not playing. This other kid's playing. Like, can you go talk to the coach? And I remember him telling me it was a conversation. You know, you look back at conversations in your life and and it could go either way, you know, whatever the answer was. And my dad's answer was the conver- was the answer that probably propelled me to become a big leaguer? But he said, "No, I'm not going to go talk to the coach." He goes, "You're not good enough." He's like, "Because if you were, you'd be starting." He goes, you're, "You might be better than the kids starting, but you're not glaringly better, right?" And he and, and a, a batting cage had just opened up in the town next to him. My dad said, "I'll make a deal with you. I'll buy you as many tokens as you'll use as you'll hit. As soon as you stop hitting, the deal's off." <clears throat> and I said, "Deal." So then I went and I started to hit every single day after school about when I was 15 years old. And all I could remember in that phone call talking to my dad was all those swings from that conversation on. Here I was, you know, that was 19, probably 89. And here I was eight years later calling my dad and my mom to tell him I was going to the big leagues when, you know, a few years earlier I was calling, I was telling my dad, I, I can't even start on the freshman baseball team. So you know, for me, that phone call was just uh, it's something I'll never forget. I mean, it, it accelerates for you even from there because now you got the family coming in, at, right? And yeah. you're joining a team that's hardly buried, as you pointed out. It's a great team you're joining. Yeah. So take us to Chicago and your your debut game against the White Sox. Wow, I tell you what. So so um, you know, we show up at the uh, we show up at the uh, clubhouse. And I was a huge Will Clark fan growing up. He was like my idol. So I love the Pirates, but I also love the Giants because I love Will Clark. So I love Robbie Thompson. I love Matt Williams. You know, I love that, that whole team. I just <clears throat> really became a Giants fan. And when I walked in the, when I, when I walked in the um, clubhouse uh, in Chicago uh, with the Indians, the first guy I run into is Matt Williams. And I was like, oh, I literally was like speechless. I know that sounds like it's never happened before. But I was speechless. I like, I didn't know what to say. I was so nervous. And I remember I walked up to him, and he walked right up to me. 
and he was like, hey, man, you know, I'm Matt Williams, congratulations. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm Sean Casey. Thank you so much, you know, so excited to be here. And then I turned totally into a fan. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I loved Will Clark, and you're my, I really liked you as a third baseman. Like, it got real uncomfortable. He was probably like, all right, this guy's a little annoying because I just – I turned in – I forgot I was in the big leagues for a second. I just couldn't believe I was meeting Matt Williams, but I was like, man, you can really hit. You're a great player. You know, he was like, all right, nice to meet you. And he walked off, and I was like, God, I was like, get a hold of yourself. You're in the big leagues. Like, act like you've been there before. You know what I mean? That's like one of those moments. <clears throat> and then the one, the one thing you have to remember about my first story in the big leagues, <clears throat> first day – <clears throat> excuse me, is um, our equipment didn't come from I Iowa. It didn't come in time. I don't even know. I still to this day don't know what happened to the equipment, but I know it didn't arrive. So I was like, all right, it's no big deal. Like probably sit on the bench tonight, you know, enjoy a big league game. I'm just excited to be here. <clears throat> so that, you know, boom, the game starts. I'm at the end. Of, me and Richie Sexton sit at the end of the bench. And we're just, I know for me, I was crushing the, you know, sunflower seeds like, and I don't know if you've ever had, like, too many sunflower seeds. Like, it wears away at your mouth. Like, the salt just starts attacking your skin, your cheeks, you know. And I felt like I was at that point in about the seventh inning. I'm like, I've had too many sunflower seeds. Like, but I just really didn't care at that moment. I was like, I'm in the big leagues. I'm going to – all the free stuff they give me, I'm like 10 pieces, you know, 20 pieces of double bubble in your mouth or whatever. You know, I'm just crushing – I'm crushing as many things as I can free. I don't know how long I'm going to be in the big leagues. So, I'm like, I'm doing everything I can, right? So in the eighth inning, Johnny Goral comes down. He's like, Case, he's like, listen, if Dave Justice hits, you're going to pinch hit for him. And I'm like, I didn't know if he was talking to me. So I kind of looked at Richie and I looked around and he's like, no, Case, talking to you. Like, dump the seeds and get ready to hit. <clears throat> and I look out. I look out. There's, there's no time to make an adjustment either because I look out and Dave Justice is on the step. He's getting ready to go on deck. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like. Talk about Panic USA. I just realized I have no bat. I have no helmet. I have no batting gloves. And now when you get to the show, too, Mike, you know, you, you finally get the double ear flap gone. You know, you get to the show, Sween. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't wait for that single flap. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have anything. So, sure enough, it happens. Dave Just is about to go hit. Johnny Girl's like, no, Mike Hargo's like, Case, you're up. And I'm like, total scrambling. So, I go over to the bat rack. I start pulling bats out like this. And I'm like, T141, that's what I use. Uh, you know, Louisville, it's Manny Ramirez. I don't even know Manny Ramirez, but I turn to Manny Ramirez like, hey, Manny, can I use your bat? Because uh, it's a T141, 3430. He's like, oh, me and Mono, use a bat, no problem. So, boom, I got Manny Ramirez's bat. I, I start going through the helmet, seven and a quarter lefty, seven and a quarter lefty. Tony Fernandez. Rest his soul, Tony. What a wonderful, wonderful guy. I go right to Tony Fernandez. I go, Tony. My equipment didn't come. You're the only seven and a quarter lefty helmet. Do you think I can wear your helmet? He's like, oh, no problem, my friend. Boom, I got Tony Fernandez's helmet. I got Manny Ramirez's bat. And then Jeff Manto, Mick Manto, who was, came up from me from, from Buffalo. I said, Mick, let me borrow your batting gloves. So, boom, I got his batting gloves on. I got Manny Ramirez's uh, bat. And I got Tony Fernandez's helmet. Now, growing up in the, um, growing up with my dad, I always used to do the fist pump to my dad. So I go on deck, I do the fist pump from when I was like 10 years old. On and my dad would always give me the Jim Casey, let's go, you know. So, so I go out on deck and I'm like real nervous, you know. And 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 now, now I understand the bright lights, the big leagues. That third deck comes on and you realize you're about to hit. You're like, wow, this is different. This is so different than I've ever been. But I remember looking at my dad in the stands and my dad just stands up, you know, double fist pump, so freaking excited. 
I kind of give him like I'm down here, like you know, real quick one, real quick. You know, I want to make sure he knows I'm. Hey, Dad, we're in the big leagues. Like, calm down up there and stand. So I give him a quick fist pump. You know, I get in there, so excited. Here I come. I'm, I'm up. So I'm facing a guy named Jeff Darwin, and uh, don't know much about him. And so I get in the box. First couple swings, I'm like, I'm on, I'm on autopilot. I'm a mess. You know what I mean? I'm just like. You know, everything's moving so fast, Swing. I'm swinging and missing by, like, 20 feet. I'm like, what the? I've never swung and missed like that. Like, just so out in front, you know, about to fall over, you know, so bad. So, I, uh, Jeff Darwin all of a sudden has me one and two. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I stepped out. I was like, I slapped myself around a little bit. I'm like, you can't punch out your first at bat in the big leagues. Like, you got to get it together. Freaking get a deep breath and calm down. I, mean, I was like a you know a bull in a china shop. It was unbelievable. So I, I was able to step out, take a deep breath. I get in there, I get a one-two slider from Jeff Darwin. Bam! Roll one over in the four hole right there. Knock, knock. Round first base. And that moment was unbelievable because I'm on first. I look up at this crowd. My dad is is. I think he almost fell down the freaking seats. He was so excited. He's, Oh, you know, my mom, I think he might have hit my mom in the face. My mom's like, she's like down, she's on the ground. You know, it's, it's mayhem in the stands. I look at four of my college buddies who flew in. The one guy, my buddy John Cunningham's got a big green wig on. I think they've been tailgating since noon. They're going bananas. And all I could think about right there was, why the hell are my friends in the family section? You know what I mean? Like, they, they should be down the left field line somewhere. You know what I mean? That's what I was thinking. So, get the first knock. They, they throw the ball in. And, uh, you know, is that moment right there, I remember thinking, I did it. Like, if I, don't, if I don't get another hit in the big leagues, I did it. I'm here. I got a hit. I'm in the books. And dream has been, you know, happened. So cool. Case, uh, Mark Sweeney here, former teammate of yours. And I, I, uh, you have a little bit of passion, which I, we already <laughs> knew immediately. <laughs> But the, it really comes down to the people that you were uh, – you, you talked about idols like Will Clark and, and Matt Williams that you met. But also, that team was stacked that you touched on. And there were a lot of influences there. Speak to some of those, uh, uh, Jim Tomey, uh, other guys that really impacted your career. Yeah, you know what? I think, too, Sweeney, you know, when you first get called up, you know, everything's really – you know, and, and, you, and you, you're, you're a little nervous as a human, you know – and you're hoping that some of the guys you looked up to or live up to that billing too. And Jim Tomey was one of those guys, man. I mean, he literally was like, couldn't have been nicer to me and have taken me under his wings. And I, and I remember, um, you know, he was so kind. And the first flight, you know, we take from, uh, from Chicago, I think to Kansas City, he was like, hey, sit in the back with me. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I want you to sit with me. So you go in the back of the plane. It's like Matt Williams. Dave Justice, Earl Hershiser, Charlie Nagy, Manny, I mean, the big dogs. And there's me. I'm just, like, trying to hide the corner. I'm like, you know. And there was one guy, you know, it's funny, because Jeff Manto, uh, great guy, Mick, great guy. You know Mick, right? Right, Yeah, I love him. Yeah. So so he was kind of like Crash Davis. He had, like, 8,000 homers in the minors, you know. But, you know, a few years in the big leagues. But just really, really a pro. And, um uh, so, so he would, I, another story really quick on top of this McMahon, because when I was in the back of the, when I was in the back of the plane with Tommy, uh, Jeff Mano was like, 
hey, what's the, what the heck are you doing in the back of the plane case? And I was like, uh, uh, uh. And he's like, uh, and then Tommy steps up. He's like, hey, I told him he could sit back here, Mick. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because I was scared of Manto. Like, I, there was one guy I was scared of was Manto because he was like a veteran AAA guy. And when I got to Buffalo, he was a little salty. I'm like, oh, this guy's salty. Like, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like the young prospect. So right before, right before that, that last day in, uh, in Comiskey uh, for our third game, there was like a probably a nine o'clock bus, right? So it's getaway day, right? And you got to come down and get and bring, you know, get your bags on the thing, whatever. So, so I've never been in the big leagues before. So sure enough, I come down, suitcase and tow, big suitcase. I come down to the lobby, and Jeff Manto's down there. He's like, "Hey, what are you doing with your bag?" I'm like, "I'm going to the bus." He's like, "You don't touch your bags in the big leagues. This is the show." He goes, "Go back up to your room and call the bellman." I'm like. Are you kidding me? I'm like, the bus is in 10 minutes. It's 8.50. He's like, go back to your room and call the Belma. You don't bring your own bags to the bus. I'm like, what? So I go back to the elevator. Boom. I hit my you know, hit my thing. I'm back at the room. I call the Bellman. Uh, how you doing? Uh, I, I need uh, uh, bags. I'm in room uh, 615. You know, we're at the West in Chicago. Here come the guy. I'm sweating it. I'm going to miss it. Here come my bags. Boom. I get it on there. And I say to Mantle, I go, I had to call Mantle before they get back. I go, Mick, I go, what do you pay these guys? You know, he goes, two bucks a bag. He goes, you got two bags, four bucks. Three bags, six bucks. Give him two bucks a bag. So I'm like, all right, two bucks a bag. Guy comes up, two bucks a bag, right? Well, fast forward to that story, right? So I give the guy two bucks a bag from Jeff Manto telling me my first time ever calling the Bellman. A few years later, I'm making quite a lot more than I was making that first year. I'm in probably, you know, I'm in the million-dollar range. And... uh after we, we get to, I think we were in Chicago, Ryan Dempster, Austin Kearns, and Adam Dunn come to my room. You know, we're going to hang out, maybe get some food, you know, play video games or whatever. And I call the Bellman. Bellman comes up. I got two bags. I give the guy four bucks, right? <laughs> and I remember, I remember Dempster going, do you just give the Bellman four bucks? <laughs> and I go, yeah, isn't it two bucks a bag? <laughs> He goes, not when you're making $8.5 million, it's not. He goes, it's 100 bucks a bag. I'm like, are you serious? I've been giving two bucks a bag since Jeff Manto told me back in 97 it was two bucks a bag. <laughs> and those guys, those guys crushed me. They still crushed me. They still crushed me to this day about that story. Two bucks a bag. So, Sean, you get brought up to the big leagues on a really good Indians team, and you're playing with stars like Jim Tomey and the group. Treat you well, but then in short order, you're turned around and flipped to the Cincinnati Reds. What do you remember about the emotions of learning that news? Jews, so many emotions. Um, so I was in 97, I, 98, it was, it was spring training in 98, and I had just hit, in, in 97, I just hit 380. I was one of the top prospects in the game. I really didn't think I had much more to more of prove at the minor league level I did 350 over three years and you know I was like oh come on this is getting ridiculous but you know obviously Jim Tomey was the first but an article had an article had just come out that John Hart said the only untouchable prospect is Sean Casey so I was like oh cool I'm I'm sitting pretty right so Mike Hargrove calls me and I'm the last cut of 98 I was leading the team in hit and he's like listen he goes he goes we got Tomey at first he goes you're 23 years old I don't want I don't want to DH you at 23 I'm like, oh, man, there's no where to, for me to go with the Indians if I don't DH, you know. So I get sent there going, we're going to send you back to Buffalo. So they send me back to Buffalo, and that day we go over to, we go, we go over to play the Tigers um, uh, at, uh, at, uh, in Lakeland. 
So we play the Tigers, and Doc Gooden's going to start for us and just get a few innings in. So Doc Gooden's pitching. He goes down in, like, the second inning. He has to come out of the game with a knee injury. So, you know, don't think much of it. Boom, boom, boom. We play the game. A couple hours later, we take the bus back. I'm getting off the bus, and the guy, Mike Brown, who was the pitching corner at the time for, uh, for the Indians, gets me off the bus. And I don't even get my bags. He's like, hey, Mark Shapiro needs to see you right now. And I'm like, all right, let me grab my bag. He's like, no, he needs to see you right now. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, I must not have signed the waiver to go to Buffalo or something. Maybe they need me to sign something, you know? So I'm like, okay. So I go. I go into Mark Shapiro's office. And um, so it's Mark Shapiro, who, who he and I were really close at the time, and we still are very close. Um, so I walk in. He's the minor league director. He's on a phone line. Buddy Black, who's obviously the manager of the Rockies now, was with it. I mean, the greatest. I mean, you guys know Buddy. I mean, the, the greatest, right? Buddy Black's in the room. <clears throat> And another guy's in the room, Scott Pioli, who was the GM for the for the uh, for the Patriots That's for all right. those years they won. Yeah, he's in the room. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I'm like, hell, what's up, Mark, buddy? And who's this guy? Well, it turns out Scott Pioli was like Mark Shapiro's best friend back in the day when 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 Mark was with the Indians and Pioli was with the Browns. So kind of funny. Those are the three guys in the room. So I walk in, Mark. I could tell Mark's like tearing up. He's a little doesn't want to you know, talk to me about something. And he hits, he just hits speaker and on speaker, John Hart pops on. He's like, case. Hey man, what's going on? We got some good news and bad news. The bad news is we traded you. But he said, the good news is you're going to the big league. We traded the Cincinnati Reds and you're going to be going to the big leagues tomorrow. So like wave of emotions just hit me. Like, Oh my gosh. Like in your mind, you think you're going to play your whole career with the Indians in the big leagues. But then you start to realize, Oh my gosh, I'm going to Cincinnati and I'm going to get a shot to play right now in the big league. So John Hart hangs up. I stand up. Mark Shapiro. I start crying. Mark Shapiro's crying. I give him a hug. Buddy Black, uh, you know, says to me, and never forget it. He said, Casey he goes, the first time's the hardest. He said, the first time getting traded's the hardest. It won't be your last, but the first time's always the toughest, but you'll get through it. And then, and then Scott Pioli, who I, you know, who's a friend of mine to this, to this day. I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but he knows how he loves Mark and he knows how, how close Mark and I are. Scott Pioli starts to cry. And I'm like, bring it in, Scott. You know, give me a hug. You know, like, you know, so, so I'm like, I'm like hugging Scott Pioli. I, I, I don't even know who he is. I had no idea who he was until two years later. I was like, who the hell is this guy? But I'll give him a hug too, because he seems like a great guy. So, so I get traded and, uh, you know, just a wa- just waves of emotion right there, you know, getting traded. It was just, uh, and I was, and then the next day going to Cincinnati, just really excited about that, you know. Case, you had an interesting team there too in '98 in Cincinnati. I mean, you've got big names on there: Hall of Famer and Barry Larkin and, and Pete Harnish and and you know, Greg Vaughn, the Boons, a lot of great guys. But I, I want to get your thought on a fellow who um, I think has also had an interesting time in, in Major League Baseball in very different roles, and that's Jack McKeon, because he was a skipper in Cincinnati. What was that like for you? Here's a picture of Jack and I, me, 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 Jack, and my son, Andrew, at the All-Star Game in 2004. Um, and you know what? I owe a lot, I owe a lot to Jack McKeon. You know, I just – I really do. Um, Casey McKeon, his son, drafted me out of Richmond. He was the Indian scout. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know if there was – I'm sure there was, a, there was a tie there a little bit. But Jack was a big part of getting me over to Cincinnati. And um, – I when I first got there, my third day in the with the Reds, I took a shot to the eye. Or I had an orbital fracture, 
And, uh, you know, I went down and, and, you know, looked like my career might be over, but I battled back. I was, I ended up missing like eight weeks. I think I came back, but my vision had changed inside a four hour surgery. Um, and Jack McKeon, never forget it. He was hitting me third and I, and I still didn't have my swing yet. And I was new to the big leagues and, you know, you had guy, a lot of veteran players on the team and especially a guy like Barry Larkin. And I was, but, and Jack kept hitting me third swing. So you know what that's like? You're like, God, I oh, suck. Yeah. <laughs> and I got all these veteran guys and he's hitting me third. Like, Oh my God, hit me seventh. Please hit me seventh. So I don't have to deal with feeling like inferior. You know what I mean? So, so Jack McKeon, never forget it, came up to me and, um, I, I came up, then I went down, then I came back up. And when I came back up, he pulled me aside. He said, listen, Casey, he goes, you're going to hit at the big league level. He goes, and you're my number three hitter till the end of the year. So I don't care if you hit 205. You're going to be hitting third and the rest of the season. So don't worry about going 0 for 4. You're going to be taking out the lineup, any of that stuff. And I tell you what, that conversation for me right there, allowed me to settle in and say, okay, the manager's the manager, Jack McKeon, who's been around this, this game a long, long time. He's got my back. And that's all I really needed to know. And then I ended up hitting 300 in the second half, hit some home runs. And then, you know, from there, my career kind of took off. But I always think back to that conversation and I think, man, had that conversation not happened or I didn't have a manager that was like Jack McKeon that, would, that was really understanding and understood the game and understood – a young player like myself, like who knows where my career goes. Okay. Settling in was a huge phrase. Cause I, you need that bump and confidence as you know, yeah. it take us to 1999 where I came over with Greg Vaughn. It was an important year opening day. You hit an opposite field home run. Everything's going great because it's your first opening day start. You're starting to realize that, that that impact was huge and then you make your first all-star team. And the reason why I asked this, it's in Boston. And for everyone in baseball that was watching it that day, it had instant impact because we didn't realize this all-century team was coming. And what a magical moment. And then out comes a golf cart and Ted Williams is coming out of there. Uh, take us to that moment for you because I know it was a huge impact for you. Oh my God, sweet. I mean, I don't even know where to go with this one because when you bring that up, there's so many emotions come to me, um, you know, around that question. Just first off, it was 99. So, you know, last all-star game of the millennium, you know, that was kind of a big deal. It's in Boston, uh, Fenway park, uh, Pedro starting the game, uh, you know, I'm in the clubhouse and you got McGuire there. I'm locker next to Piazza. Vlad Guerrero's right next to me. Jeff Bagwell, Luis Gonzalez, Randy Johnson. I mean, literally at one point I thought, you know, did I win the lottery? Like, how how did I get here? Like, seriously, I had that I had that feeling. How did I get here? You know, and I was having a good year at the time, so I knew like I was worthy to be there. But when you're when you get there, you're like, this is amazing. And what I did was I had, I had a video camera. I, you know, I think I was naive back then to think like, this was no big deal, but I'm like, I'm taking video. I have unbelievable footage inside the clubhouse. I mean, guys must've been like, what the heck's this rookie doing? You know what I mean? This, this young kid. Um, but I gave my video camera to the bat boy and I said, Hey, can you just get me when I'm getting announced and like some of the other festivities and the all century team and all that stuff. So it was just, 
you know, and so we're, we're sitting there and I, have, but I the reason I say that sweet is because we, I have unbelievable footage of my camera of the clubby on the field. And he, he's five feet from Ted Williams videotape and I'm watching him come in. It's like so cool. But you know, that moment right there for me, you know, we're on the field. They're announcing the all central and century team, you know, Hank Aaron's out there, Willie Mays, Sam usual, uh, George Brett, uh, you know, just the list goes on of the greats are out there. And I remember walking up, Ted, then Ted Williams comes out in that golf cart. And I tell you what, I still get the chills right now talking about it because the crowd was deafening. I mean, absolutely deafening when like the greatest hitter of all time comes out of the right field corner, you know, in that golf cart. And he comes out to throw out the first pitch. And, you know, we all go up to the mound and I think him and Tony Gwynn had a pretty good relationship at the time. So Tony's kind of talking to Ted and it's really cool. And I'm just beside myself. But one of the coolest moments of my life happened right at that moment as we're walking up. I'm walking up and I get, I get a pat on my shoulder and I turn around and it's George Brett. And George Brett says to me, hey, Sean, I just want to introduce myself. George Brett. He goes, I really like your left-handed swing. You got a sweet swing. And I was just like, ah. Uh, I was like the Matt Williams moment. I was like, ah. I didn't know what to say. I, I was like speechless. All I could think of was 3,000 hits, you know, the, the, the pine tar game, the, the championship, the 390 in 1980. Like, you know, everything went through my mind. George Brett's telling me he likes my swing. And I'm like, I, I, this is like a dream come true. So, but that moment walking up was just, you know, I mean, everyone in life should experience that moment. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I got a chance to be, to be there. Case, did you get into the game and and, uh, and what'd you do? <laughs> oh man, this is great. So McGuire, McGuire's the big thing at the time, right? Mark McGuire's the big thing at the time. And he's just had an unbelievable home run derby, you know, the other day and uh, the day before and, 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 and McGuire's starting the game. So obviously I literally am saying to myself, I hope I don't get in. Like I'm so scared. It's freaking packed house in Fenway. I took grounders uh, before the game, and, and it was it was a little choppy. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I don't need any grounders, none of that stuff. So in the fifth inning, McGuire hits a third time, and, and, and Bruce Bochy the manager at the time because you guys had gone to the World Series in 98. So Bochy is the manager. Jack McKeon and Bochy are tight. So Jax is the, uh, uh, you know, is the bench coach. And all of a sudden, I hear, uh, uh, hear Bochy say, uh, where's Casey? Where's Casey? He's going to first. And I'm, I'm in the corner of the dugout like this, like, Trying to hide. I'm like trying to hide. I'm like, I don't want to go in the game. I'm so scared. So anyway, he's like, Case, you're in the game. I'm like, all right, here we go. And then you know, you know, sweet, what it's like when you're like, your mind goes to, all right, just don't hit the ball to me. I'm fine out here. Just don't hit the ball to me, right? Sure enough, whenever you say that to yourself, you know it's coming. Baseball gods are listening. BJ Surhoff's up there. Wham! He hits me a absolute missile. First pitch. I'm like, and I I end up coming up with it, and I tag first, throw it around. I'm like. It's time, time to strap it on and be ready. You know what I mean? So, like, I got in the game and, and uh, you know, I got a couple grounders. And I ended up grounding out to uh, Omar Vizquel at short. I, I thought I hit it pretty decent. I broke my bat, but it, but it was – but Vizquel made it look like it was like a, a, a chopper. I was like – he ate it up like just Tyson vacuum and just whoop, I was out, you know? You know what, Case, and this brings me to you know the type of players that you have, and there's some unique players you get to play with. And my guys were Ozzie Smith and then Tony Gwynn, the first couple of places that I went to. 
you had Barry Larkin there in Cincinnati, who is everything about uh, Cincinnati Reds baseball. What did he mean to you? Wow, Lark meant a lot to me. You know, Lark, uh, so many times in those first couple of years, you know, would pull me aside. You know, I remember one time uh, there was a get, get the guy over situation, and I was kind of fighting to get him over. And a lot of my swing at that time was a, I could hit, I hit a lot of deep fly balls. A lot of my home runs were to left center. And, and, and sometimes if I miss hit one, I'd hit a deep fly ball to left center. I remember, I remember I didn't get the job done one time because I was really trying to hook one over to the right side. I remember him getting me in the dugout and saying, hey, listen, he goes, you hit that. You usually hit those nice – you can hit a nice fly ball to left center. He goes, whatever it takes to get him over, you know, if, if it's a fly ball to deep left center or if it's a roll over to right, just get him over. And I just remember stuff like that, like little stuff like that he was always telling me. And uh, I just always really appreciated, uh, you know, being able to pick Lark's brain and, and uh, you know, ask him questions about the, how to play the game and how to be a pro. You know, Sean, we look at 1999 season in addition to that all-star run. You finished the year uh, on a 96-win team. You got to play a game 163. And on a personal note, you're sitting there at 99 RBIs. I don't like to point this out to hurt your feelings because I know you guys have egos in this, but everybody wants to hit 100 RBIs. Right. That benchmark matters to you, right? Twice in your career, you get to 99. <laughs> right? Oh, so you're sitting there. Yeah. You got game 163 against the Mets in 1999 with an opportunity. What happened? Oh, my God. Well, you know, Al Leiter dominated that game. So we were losing, I think, 5 nothing in the ninth. And, I, you know, I know we're going to lose the game because Al's locked in. But Pokey Reese, I believe, leads off the ninth with a triple or yeah. he somehow is on third. Did he triple? Yeah. Yeah, he was on third base. Okay, yeah, he was on third, and I come up, and I'm like, here it is. If we're gonna, if we lose, at least I'm gonna get my hundredth ribby because I just have to put the ball in play, and it's my hundredth ribby. He's one out, you know. So, gosh, it's still. Thanks for bringing this up, Mike. Great topic. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm like, so Al throws in that like cutter, cutter. You know, I get the two, two. I'm like, all right, you know, and I take this monster hack. Like, what a jerk. What am I thinking? I'm in a five-run homer. I take this, like, big hack, swing and miss. Then I break my bat, and, and I realize my 100th ribby is still sitting on, <laughs> sitting on third base. All I had to do was freaking play pepper and put the ball in play. It's unbelievable. And then when 2004 comes, with 11 games to go, I have 99 ribbies. And then I, did, I think I got one RBI opportunity. Ryan Friel was the guy getting on base. He gets hurt. I think I had one RBI opportunity in those last 11 games, and then I started trying to go deep the last three, and I think I went 0 for 12. So, 99 twice. You're oh, welcome. That You're was welcome. one of the <laughs> – honestly, guys. Thank you. That, and, and watching that club, and he's not kidding. Al Leiter was on point yeah. when it came oh. to that. And the frustrating thing was we had a team there that could do some oh. damage if we got in. And unfortunately, it, it didn't get in. But, Case, what a year you had. Oh man, Sweeney, that that's still my favorite team of all time, man. I mean, we had so much fun. There were so many good characters, you, yourself included, man. So great. I, you know, Vonnie, I saw Vonnie a lot, a lot two years ago at Cooperstown. Just so good to see him too. And yeah, Darius man, Rucker, 
the Darius Rucker. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> a little bigger version of Darius Rucker, you know? <laughs> great, man. Bonnie, Bonnie was the greatest teammate. I mean, what a great – I only got the chance to play with him for 99, but, you know, he left an impression on me big time in my career, too, just how selfless he was as a player and a leader. So, Sean, you're coming off all-star seasons. You're putting up great numbers. And it's too soon for you to test free agency, but you are eligible for arbitration, a chance for you to pitch your case. The club does the same. It sometimes gets contentious and sometimes has to reach a hearing. That's what happened to you. What do you remember about your first run through arbitration? <laughs> do you guys know anything about my arbitration story? <laughs> you do, you do, right? We've, right, heard, we've heard tales. We've heard rumors. All right, all right, all right, all right. Oh, I didn't know if I should go down that path, but I have to go. So, Barry, you know the deal. Like, it's it's one of those – I look back at arbitration and say, I think – I it was it was one of the best experiences I ever had and, and the worst at the same time. Like, it made me really understand the business of the game. Like, you know, and the only thing that ever made me mad, you know, Bowden, Bowden kind of – Jim Bowden, who was a GM at the time, you know, uh, will we'll, we'll refute it, was that, like, I was asking for $3 million, they were offering two six and two eight would have been fine. But Bowden, you know, was kind of jabbing me around, offering me two seven. I'm like, this isn't millions apart. This is really 50 grand after taxes. We're, we're apart. You know what I mean? Like we can't get the two eight. So they, the Reds wouldn't move off two seven. And you know, you know how it goes, you know, guys with, with the off season, those days are gold. You know, you don't want to be somewhere that you don't want to be in the off season. So the arbitration hearings were in Arizona. I was living in Florida at the time. And so here we go. I got to go to arbitration. And uh, I remember my wife at the time, Mandy, saying that, why don't you just sign for 2.6 because it's so much money? And I'm like, well, you don't understand. It's a business. Like, you get, you, you know, I can't do that for so many other players. So I remember calling my agent, Ron Shapiro, and I'm like, Ron, can, can my wife sit in at the arbitration hearing so she sees what it's like? She's like, yeah, bring her in. So my wife comes in and, and uh, you know, Michael Weiner's in there. All the guys are in there, and, uh, you know, I got a suit on. You know, I'm not happy to be there. I go introduce myself to the arbitrators. Um, Frank Coonley, who was the pre president of the uh, Pirates for the last 10 years, he was, the, he was the lead counsel for the commissioner's office, right? So I see all these guys, all these young bucks, and now I'm like, now I start to get the juices swollen. Like, all right, like I kind of want to – now I want to go. It's go time. Like, it, it, it's, it, it, you see all these people that are against you, and you're like – and, and you're like you said, Barry, I just – all-star year in 99, I hit 315 with 20 homers and 85 ribbies in 2000. I had two great years. Like, just felt like we could have got this done. So, remember Ron Shapiro telling me, he goes, listen, any negative emotions you have, just write them down, right? So, I'm like, all right. He's like, don't show them emotions. So, here they go. Like, right out the gates, they're like, this guy's the biggest base clogger in Major League Baseball. I'm like, what? And I'm like – writing it down, you know, and they're like, this guy, you know, I don't even know what they said about me. I can't even remember, but they were like, this guy crushes the spread after the game. I'm like, what? And I'm just like, you know, and I, you know, they're going through these numbers and all this stuff. This guy doesn't steal bases, this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm furious. I, I'm writing things down. I, I can't even believe we're here. Like I'm so mad and angry and I'm sweating profusely. Right. So at the break, at the break, they're like, all right, let's take a, let's take a break. You know, it's getting a little hot in here, you know? So we go out into the lobby and I remember Jim Bone comes up. He's like, I'm talking to Mandy and I'm like, you know, uh, I was saying something to her, my, my ex-wife. And she's like, um, um, so, um, Bowden comes over and he says, Hey, listen, I just want you to know this is, this isn't personal. It's, it's just business. And I said, you know what, Jim, it's officially personal. 
it's just not business for me. Like, I, it's just, we shouldn't even be here. This is personal. Like, we shouldn't be in Arizona right now, right? So he walks away. I say to my wife, I'm like, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? See the business of this thing? They, 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 this, is for, this is really for 50 grand is why we're here. We're here for 50 grand. You got to be kidding me. I'm like, I go, this is why you can't sign for 2-6. Just you got. So I go through this whole spiel. And then I'm like, and, and I remember smelling something in the courtroom. It was like, something smells bad in this room. I just don't know what it is. But I really don't care at that time, right? So then I, I remember saying to my wife, I go, you know what else is pissing me off? Something smells so bad in that courtroom. It's freaking unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, it's disgusting, right? And she's like, yeah, I've been smelling that too. I don't know. But right around halfway through the hearing, I start smelling this like disgusting smell. So then she leans in on me and she's like, into my suit jacket. She's like, she's like, oh, it's like, I think it's you. I'm like, oh my God, it is me. It smells like cat urine. And she's like, and she's like, oh my God. She goes, we had just gotten these two cats like months earlier. She goes, is that the suit jacket that Spaz the cat peed on on the last road trip? And I'm like, didn't you get this thing dry cleaned? And she's like, yeah, I thought I did. I go, well, I guess dry cleaning doesn't get out cat urine. It makes it worse when you start sweating. So I smell, I smell like, I, I smell like cat urine, like you wouldn't believe. I, I end up running over. I throw my suit jacket away. Throw my suit jacket away. I end up going back in the hearing, and I, I smelled so bad. I wanted like Frank Coonley and the people across the way to just smell me because I didn't care at that point. You know what I mean? It was, it was just unbelievable. But after the hearing, a couple hours later, we get to the flight. Michael Weiner calls says, "Hey, Case, congratulations! You won your hearing, three million bucks." And I was like, "Yes!" And then I told Michael Weiner, "I'm off to buy a suit, Michael, right now, because my other one's <laughs> in the freaking garbage in the lobby of that freaking hotel." Your your run through arbitration after 2000 fascinates. I think all of us connected to the business of sport. We're called Major League Beginnings here on the podcast, Sean, as you know, and we like to talk about firsts. And interestingly to us, you had a couple of firsts within a span of just a handful of days in 2001 because PNC Park in Pittsburgh opens, as does Miller Park in Milwaukee. And you had a huge hand in providing firsts in both those cases. Really cool. Um, what was cool, too, is with the Milwaukee Miller Park, I remember, I remember looking at the schedule when it came out the year, you know, in the offseason. I thought to myself, oh, wow, we open up Miller Park and we open up, uh, we open up PNC Park, which, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I was really excited about that. But one other thing, I don't know if it's a first or a last. I guess it's a last. I hit the last home run at Milwaukee County Stadium, which wow. is which is really cool. So we played at Milwaukee Great. the last home run in 2000. I homered, I think, in the sixth or seventh inning. And then come Miller Park, I ended up uh, – I think it was an 0-2 curve off Jeff D'Amico. I line drive up the middle. It was the first hit there. And that was kind of cool because President Bush was there to throw out the first pitch. And, you know, it was just a cool day. And then three days later, uh, you know, we come to PNC Park – um, I was so excited because that, you know, I, I, I grew up going to Three River Stadium with my dad and my buddies. So, you know, PNC Park being built and being from Pittsburgh was a big deal. So I left 70 tickets for the game. I had a lot of friends that were in the stands. Um, and um, I just remember that day I was hitting fourth and I usually hit third. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm hitting fourth today. Like, I might not get up in the first inning. 
So the first two guys get out. Todd Ritchie's, pitch, Todd Ritchie's pitching for the uh, Pirates. First two guys get out. Then Demetri Young comes up. Richie gets him 0-2, and I'm on deck thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to get a chance to get the first hit at PNC Park. And sure enough, he tried to come in and bury something uh, inside on Dimitri and ends up, ends up drilling him. So I'm like, well, here it is. You know, I've been, I had it circled on my calendar all offseason, and I was like, uh, here's my chance. You know, it's up to me. And I get a 1-1 cutter from Todd Ritchie, and I ended up, uh, I ended up hitting a home run to right field. And, uh, you know, it was unbelievable because – you know, I, I really just wanted to get the first hit, but when it left my bat, I knew it was gone. And I remember rounding first base and thinking to myself, man, I just, I just homered in, uh, you know, my hometown at PNC Park, you know, just kind of a feather in my cap forever. And, uh, you know, th that was pr pretty cool. And I turned out to be the first player ever to have the first two hits and to open up two ballparks in Miller Park and uh, PNC. And, the, and after the game, the um, uh, Cooperstown took my bat and that bats in Cooperstown to this day. You know what, Case? I mean, you have a successful, uh, really good run with the, the Cincinnati Reds. And then you go to Pittsburgh. You're playing in your, your hometown, which had to feel really good. And then you end up going, going to Detroit. You're playing for Jim Leland, uh, unbelievable manager and impact for everybody around the game of baseball. But you go to your first World Series and you raked. What was that like for you in, in, in having those moments of your career? Oh, man, Sweeney, I'll tell you what, man, that, that World Series, you know, that was my ninth year in the big league. So at that point in my career, I was like, man, I don't, you know, I just watched Jeremy Burnitz, you know, play 15 years in the big leagues and never play a day in the postseason. You know, maybe that's where I'm going to get to, you know, that 99 team. And, you know, I thought we were going to be in the postseason and lost game 163 you think it's so easy to get back to and it just it really isn't so it was such a blessing to get traded to the tigers and play for that team and then get to the world series and i was coming off a calf injury that i had in the alcs and so i was you know didn't know whether i'd be able to play or not unfortunately i was able to play at dh the first couple games but i tell you what i'll never forget game one uh in detroit when they introduced the lineups um it was just i remember just getting announced that day and going out and taking the, taking the line and all the world series that I've watched as a kid. And, you know, even as a player being one of those guys that was in the world series, getting introduced was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, getting the, I got a hit in game two that drove in a run to make it two nothing. And the place, it was, it was as loud as I've ever heard a place go crazy. And then in game four, uh, I homered, uh, off Jeff Supon and I remember thinking to myself, rounding first base, wow, I just homered in the World Series. Like, I felt like – I remember being 12 years old in the backyard throwing the wiffle ball up, and I'd be like, oh, Sean Casey, homers in the World Series. You know, I was, you know, you never, you know you're joking around. You're hitting it over, your, over the bushes, you know, and you're like, hey, there's another homer in the World Series. Well, when I hit that ball of soup on into the, into, the, into, the, um, into the bullpen of the Cardinals, I, I was like – you gotta be kidding me! I'm like, this is like a dream within the dream. You know, you, you treat you know, that that first hit in the big leagues where you're in '97 when you're on first base. You're like, this is it, dreams come true. And then when you're in 2006 and you're rounding the base because you just homered in the World Series, it's like a dream within the dream. And it's like it was like nothing I've ever ever experienced the feeling that I had rounding those bases. Okay, so when you look at it and you look at your career, you started developing a, a pretty good reputation. Obviously, the, the mayor and you have nicknames, but 
the the way you played the game for three hours every night was had the intensity, had the drive, but also you had fun doing what you were doing. So in 2007, you get named from Sports Illustrated in a poll. 46% of players voted you the friendliest player in Major League Baseball. Now, what is your thoughts on that? But also, was it because you had those conversations at first base and, and allude to some of those that you could have? <laughs> I think so, Sweeney. You know, you know, thank God you played some first base too, so you know those conversations you end up you know, getting over there. I don't, if I'd have played center field, I think I'd have been out of the game in like two years. I'd have just been like, <laughs> I got to talk to people. I need, you know, because if I wasn't talking to the guy at first, I was talking to the first base up, you know what I mean? Like I, I had somebody going all the time, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, – it was just cool, you know, being there, having a chance to talk to guys. And I think, that, you know, you get to know people. So, and that 2007 poll was just really flattering. And I, and I, and I, and I, I was, it was interesting because the other two guys that were two and three were Mike Sweeney and Jim Tomey. And they were both first basemen too. So, you know, it's no, rela- no relation, by the way, no relation yeah. with the Mike Sweeney. <laughs> That's right. No relation, no relation. Um, so that was kind of, it was really cool with, uh, you know, with that. And, um, you know, I remember one conversation. I mean, I have so many conversations that I remember. But I remember in 1998 uh, when McGuire was and Sosa were in that run and they were our division. Uh, it was probably like July and the, and, the, and the home run race was getting so big. And McGuire, we intensely walked McGuire the first time up. And I remember thinking, oh, man, this is great. Like I was looking for first in the big leagues. I was collecting balls. I was doing everything I could because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to be out of here. You know what I mean? I was like, I was, I was living in fear. Right. And so McGuire gets the first base. And I thought to myself, man, I just want to go over and have a conversation with him. So I go to go over, and have a conversation with him. And Jack McKean's in the, in the dugout. He's like, Hey, Case play behind him. I'm like, ah, oh, man, you gotta be kidding me. I don't want to play behind him. I want to talk to him, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm behind him a little bit. And I say to McGuire, I say, Hey, what's up, big Mac? You know? Nice walk. I didn't even know. I, uh, good, good intentional walk. You know, he was like, what the? And he turned to me. He was like, hey, how you doing, Sean? And I was like, yes. You're like, Mark McGuire knows my name. I was like so freaking excited about it. It was unbelievable. So the next time up, again, we intensely walk him. And I said to myself, I'm not even looking in the dugout. I'm going right to first base. And I'm talking to Mark McGuire because this could be my only time I get a conversation with him. So I go up. I get on, you know, McGuire's on first. I'm like, hey, Big Mac, man, that's awesome. And this is really – and then I turn into this total fan. I'm like, this has really been a cool summer. You and Sosa going back and forth, man. It's been really been a fun to watch. And it's cool to see your son being the bat boy. And, uh, you know, we're going down. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's really been a lot of fun, blah, blah, blah. Well, at the time I'm talking to McGuire, Jack McKeon's like, hey, Case, play behind him. Play behind him. Play behind him. Then the next thing I know, the whole dugout is standing up like, time out. Play behind them like they're yelling at me, and I and I I'm so locked into this conversation with McGuire. I don't hear anybody, and I have to have McGuire say, "Ah, uh, hey, uh, Case, I think the dugout wants your attention." And I turn to the dugout, they're all like, "What the? You're you're an idiot! Like, play behind them, you know? <laughs> we gotta stall the game." So I'm like, "Oh my god!" But I didn't care though. I didn't care that they were young. I got that conversation with McGuire. It was like that first hit. I was like, you can't take that away. I got a conversation with Mark McGuire in the summer of 98. Hey, Captain Friendly, let me jump in with, (laughs) (laughs) 
after you get the, after you get the friendliest player in Major League Baseball uh, polling nod uh, in 2007. Now I'm going with this, mind you, because your old teammate Mark Sweeney told me you still have a little bit of an edge. Don't oh, be deceived <laughs> by all this friendliness, right? right so right. I'm going to spin the dial to uh, 2008 because by that time you had signed as a free agent with Boston, and yeah. I think that edge came out. And I know you know what I'm talking about, but if folks don't remember, James Shields pitching for Tampa Bay against your Boston Red Sox and Coco Crisp. And then the world got to see the less than friendly side of Sean Casey. (laughs) Oh, man, I tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I, I did. I I expected a lot out of myself. And I, I did have a, I did have another side of me just, you know, that was just, it was a fiery side. Like I, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to win every pitch. I, I you know, I think that's what, what, you know, allowed me to hit 300 in the big leagues was that just, I didn't want to lose. I didn't like striking out. I didn't like any of that stuff. And I wanted to beat you, you know, and, and, and I remember just like, whenever I get in the box, you know, something switched. There was a switch that went off. Like I'm nobody's friend. And, I, and I'm coming to get you. And I just always felt that way. But I always felt the way for my teammates, too. And I remember that that was an unbelievable brawl because, you know, Coco did a hard slide earlier in the game, and they were jawing at him. And Shields was one of the ones jawing at Coco, you know, from the other dugout. And uh, and sure enough, I think the first pitch went behind Coco. And I remember, like, I remember getting on the top step and telling the, telling the guys in the dugout, let's go. We're about to roll, boys. Like, here we go. Like, w- William Wallace type stuff. Like, let's go, Braveheart. Top stepping. So, next pitch, boom, he drills Coco. Coco comes out. Now, Coco was a gold glove boxer, I think, back in the day out in, where, out in California and in the high school. So, he knew how to handle himself. So, he came out. I don't know if you, you go back to that film. I mean, Shields throws an absolute haymaker just from the depths of hell. Just wham! And, and, and Coco, I mean, like Matrix – Matrix dodges it and then gets a combo off. Boom, boom, right? So I come flying out. It's probably the fastest I've ever run. You know, if you ever see me run, it looks like I'm ice skating in quicksand. I'm just, I come out. I'm just like, who am I going after? So if you look at the replay, Johnny Gomes and a couple other guys are just bundling uh, like Coco Chris. I run right by Coco Chris because I was so focused on James Shields. But what really kind of happened, it, you know, I end up getting a three-game suspension, and, and but what happened was I went to go throw a punch and like when I was right about here, I, I kind of was thinking to myself, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I, I, I know James Shields. He's a really good guy. Like, who am I punching here? Right. So it kind of turned into like this guy and then like a macho man, Randy Savage elbow, like boom. And I like, I like, I went like this and I like, I think I might even punch the mound. Like the next thing you know, I'm rolling on the ground and DeMarlo Hale's picking up shields. And I'm like, man, I, Nothing really happened there. Like, what a wimpy punch. And, like, it just all went wrong for me. Right when I went to throw the punch, I was like, ah! boom, and I drop an elbow, you know what I mean? And so, like, you know, we get our thing out, and the next thing you know, they're like, uh, Case, you're, you're ejected from the game. I'm like, for what? I was like, I, I, I swear to God, like, look at the replay. Like, nothing happened. Like, zero. He's like, I, you know, they just told me you're out of here. Like, Tito's like, Tito, you know, Terry Franco is like, they just, the umps told me you're one of the guys that's gone. I'm like, oh, what the heck? So anyway, I get a three-game suspension, and, you know, that's three days off. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my apartment watching the games or whatever. And I remember Bob Watson coming. I appealed the suspension. Bob Watson comes in at the time, who's the head of the rules committee. And, and I said, Bob, have you watched the replay? I didn't really even hit anybody. Like, it, it, it just 
He goes, no. Nope. He goes, as soon as you go like this, three games. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll, I'll take it. Guilty. Ace, when you talk about Terry Francona, uh, there, there's a pretty interesting story. We all know you could rake. Um, right. But uh, from a former teammate, I'll tell you one thing you couldn't do is run. I mean, you had a you had a, what I'll call with quotes unique running style. <laughs> Case, how'd you just describe it? Is like ice skating in it was quicksand. Like I was ice skating in quicksand. You know, you've seen those ice speed skaters, <laughs> but then my hips wouldn't move. So, like, I was dragging my legs. It was like it was painful. I'd watch myself on replay and be like, "What are you doing? What is that?" You know? But Case, you, I mean, Fenway Park is tailor-made for you, uh, raking off the big monster and all that stuff. But you know what? It has some limitations with a, with a little bit of a running style at Fenway. Tell us the Tito story that I oh absolutely love. So I'm, I'm out there, and I just come back from a hip flexor injury, right? And figure that one out. So tight. I'm rounding third in Tampa. I'm like, ah, there's a hip flexor. That's 15 days. You know, I couldn't walk. You know, I come up. They're like, we got this guy to back up. He's Blew out his uh, C4, C5 bulging disc, 15 days. And I, I, like, slept wrong one night. I was like, ah, it doesn't work. Then I, then I had a hip flexor tear. So I come back from the hip flexor, and I'm like, I got to play. Like, I'm coming off the bench. Like, I got to get some bats, like, you know. So I come off the bench. We're playing Baltimore. Tito's like, you're, you know, you're hitting whatever. I was hitting fifth that night. So a little bit of a hip flexor strain. Obviously, I already don't run well. We've already noted that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so I got I to gotta, I gotta get her done. You know, so I go out there first to bat. I think, boom, I rock and went off the monster. And, you know, Sweeney, when you're playing in Boston, it's tough to judge that thing. Like, you think, like, oh, that's a double. But it's not always a double off the monster, so, especially with my speed. So I go running. I round first. I'm like, that's definitely a double. Boom, whoever's playing left comes up. They throw it in it. And you can see the, you know, play in front of you. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to get hosed. So, bam, I get hosed in second. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, that's all right. So, I come in, you know, and, and the crowd's like, boo, you're slow, stay at first. And I'm like, ah, oh, I am slow. It's, I should stay at first, you know. So, my next bat, I come up. I can't remember who I was facing, but I hit a missile in the gap. Now, this is the right center gap. This isn't like right field. It's a covered one, just on the line. I'm like, that's a bomb. So, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of trotting, but I'm not. But I got a little bit of hip flexor strain, strain, and I'm not that fast. So it's a just terrible combo to be wrong. So I'm rounding first base, and I'm like, oh, it's definitely gone. And right when I'm about 10 feet past first, which is no man's land, the ball hits like a nail on the top of the fence. Ricochets back to Nick Markakis. Boom. He bare hands it. One motion comes up throwing. I'm like, oh, we got a situation here. And I'm just like grinding so hard like 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 just i can't get there i'm like i cannot get there fast enough boom throws right on the money bam i'm out now the crowd's like stay at first oh my gosh are you slow and i'm like ah gee so i come in i come in the dugout i put my helmet down i go to sit down terry franco is like he's on that top step you know he's got the big jaw in with the gum and he turns to me he's like case he's like can i talk to you really quick i'm like yeah i'm like what the heck's this guy have to say? Like, in my mind, I'm just so mad right now. So I go over. He puts his arm around me, as only Tito could do. He's like, hey, uh, is there any chance you might have polio? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said uh, you know what? I said, I haven't been to the doctor lately, but never thought of that, but there might be a chance. <laughs> 
Sean, you have had such an incredible run to 2008, man. Those stories, I think, really encapsulate who you are. It, just unbelievable. Oddly enough to me, though, you hit 322 that year. I know. I was raking. I was killing the ball. And then you shut it down. What, yeah. What, what was the deal with retirement? I thought you could have gone at least another 20, 30 seasons. <laughs> I could have gone a few more years, but like – I had a few things going through my mind. Like, it was my, you know, my 12th season in the big leagues. My, I, I didn't enjoy the travel. I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy coming off the bench. Like, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. You know, I, I, playing every day, I could justify the grind. And you know, Sweeney, it's yeah. the toughest thing in the world to do is to come off the bench and pinch it. And to tell you the truth, one of the, one of the real reasons at this point was coming into that year, I was hitting 301. And I remember thinking to myself, if I hit 230 this year coming off the bench and I'm a career 299 hitter, I'm going to kill someone. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm a, someone's dying. Like that's what I thought in my head. So I go out and I, I, I throw a 322 out there and I get my average to 302. And I was like, that was a straight roll of the dice. You know, that was, a, that was a freaking big chance right there. So I had a couple calls to back up and I said, I'm taking it to the house. I'm not risking 302 anymore. I'm not – no more stress of 302. I'm taking it to the house and being done. So that's so two, I, two seasons with 99 RBIs, you didn't want to take the risk of carrying a 299 batting average? Hell no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, didn't need, I didn't need 99, 99, 299. I didn't need that. I mean, <laughs> 99, 99, 302, that's legit right there. Believe it. 302, <laughs> what a great career average. So <laughs> – so you decide to explore some other avenues, as you guys say, seek different opportunities, spend time with the family, all the other cliches. But what I thought was fascinating was when we look back at that 12-year career you're talking about, and eight of them in Cincinnati where you really made hay, you get a chance to go back in 2012 to Cincinnati for a really special moment. You're inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. I can't imagine how meaningful that must have been to you. <laughs> Wow, you guys bring up a lot, a lot of, a lot of emotional stuff. Yeah, you know, for me, because I wasn't going to Cooperstown. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, my, my, my Hall of Fame would have been the Reds Hall of Fame, and to know the history of that team, you know, 150 years, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, you know, being the first team ever, you know, um, you know, when you go back and, you know, when you think about it, you know, Bench and Rose and Morgan and. Doggy Perez and Barry Larkin and Ken Griffey Jr. and Ted Klazuski and you know the list goes on like you know Eric Davis and Dave Parker. I mean it's it's pretty sick. Dave Concepcion. It's pretty amazing to look back. If there's ever a Hall of Fame that's right outside Cooperstown, it's probably the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and, and, and probably the Yankees, you know, uh, Hall of Fame too. But the names of there were, were so unbelievable. So to, to be elected in there in 2012, you know, this was really, really my moment. Um, and I remember a great story. Um, the morning of my Hall of Fame induction, uh, they have a breakfast for just the Hall of Famers. So I go down there and at this big, long table. And at the table is Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Concepcion, Doggy Perez, Cesar Geronimo, Tommy Helms, Lee May, Lee May, um, and, a, and a few other guys. And, and these guys are telling some of the greatest stories ever. 
and I'm writing them all down. I'm, I'm like back in the 99 All-Star game. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here with these guys. They're telling these stories about the facing the 70 Pirates and, you know, facing, uh, you know, different guys and Willie Stargell, Clemente. It's, it, the stories are phenomenal. I'm writing them all down. It's unbelievable. And uh, I remember Tommy Helms saying, Case, what are you doing? I was like, I'm writing down these stories, man. Like, I'm, I can't believe you're honoring me tonight to go in the Reds Hall of Fame. And I'm sitting with this group of players, you know, here in this room. So, you know, for me, that 2012, you know, induction in the Reds Hall of Fame. And, and Cincinnati, the city of Cincinnati, what they meant to me as the fans, you know, to be able to be on the field the one day and give my induction speech. I had no note cards. I just wanted to speak from the heart. Uh, and and that, that moment I'll never forget, too. Cincinnati, you know, it just capped off my career there going into the Reds Hall of Fame. And, I, and I'm so grateful to be in there. Case, every player, when they're finished, tries to figure out what's next. And as Mike alluded to, you, you spend time with the family. You have to have ways to tell those stories, be able to uh, come up with your own, but also the ones that you were told and pass them on. So your next part of your life was, how can I do that? And you've chose to be on the MLB network, which I think you do a fabulous job because you're a storyteller, but also it resonates what you are as a person on air. Tell me your thought process going into that type of challenge, because there's only, there's that challenge, but there's also the challenge of you got to put makeup on a guy that sweats nonstop. (laughs) So give me, give me a little bit of, of your reasoning going into that. Well, you know, it's funny, real quick on the makeup part. I remember my first show that I was like, I told the lady, I was like, listen, I don't really need makeup. I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and then I started looking at my Irish skin. Now I'm like, ah, can you make me look Italian? Just darken me up, you know, as much as you can. So like, you know, I, I look like, you know, I was just in Italy in July. You know what I mean? Just like tan, make, give me a tan. You know what I mean? I, this Irish skin on TV is not good. So that's, that's the funny makeup story. But you know what? If I go back to the MLB Network, 2008 when I was – it was game five of ALCS. We're in Boston. I'm in my hitting group. And Harold Reynolds is in town because he's doing the playoff game for WTBS. And I come out of my group and Harold's there. And I'm like, hey, Harold, how you doing? He's like, hey, Case, what's up? And I, and I asked him, hey, how do you like being a studio analyst? Have you enjoyed that? He's like, yeah, I love it. You know, it's, it's been such a great career for me. And I said, he said, why? And I said, why? I'm retiring when the season's over. And he said the same thing you said, Mike. He's like, you're in 322. You just hit 322. Why would you retire? And I said, I'm just ready to be done. You know, I'm ready to be done with, um, you know, baseball. So he was like, listen, he's like, MLB Network. He's like, you got to call Tony Batiti. No, he said, I'm going to have this guy, Tony Batiti, call you. But Tony at the time was the head that was in charge of starting MLB Network. And, 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 and a huge upbringing Tony had to do. I mean, he really had to hire everybody, right? It was crazy. So he said the MLB Network had just hired Harold, and they launched in January 2001. He, I'd be a great fit. So Tony Petiti called me. I ended up going up to the network. I auditioned, and uh, Tony offered me the job. And, and you know, I was one of the original guys at MLB Network. And what's funny is, you know, you talk about your first. So your first hit, your first all-star game, you know, your first – all those stuff. My first show, we were supposed to do a um, – um, we were going to cover the St. Louis Cardinals in the offseason. So I called Jason LaRue with the Cardinals. I said, tell me about this guy. Tell me about this guy. I had it all written out. I was like, oh, I'm going to nail my first show. This is so great, you know? So I go up to the network, got my first show ready to go. Right when I get there that day, the A-Rod story breaks of A-Rod taking steroids, right? And the Peter Gammons interview is about to come out. 
So John Entz, who's the who's the uh, vice president of the network at the time, comes up to me and he says, you know, comes up to everybody and says, hey, listen, we're nixing the St. Louis Cardinals. We're just going to talk A-Rod and steroids for four hours. Oh. And I'm like, I'm just off the field. I'm played in that era. I, I don't want to bury anyone. I, I'm trying, I just want to talk about Jason LaRue being a good catcher and, you know, Adam Wainwright's got a good curveball. Like, I don't want to talk steroids, A-Rod. Like, are you crazy? First show ever. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have zero idea. So John N says to me, he goes, listen, Casey, he pulls me aside right before the show starts. He goes, he goes, if you can get through this show, you can do any show ever in the rest of your life. And I'll tell you what, he was right. I went out there for four, three hours with no notes, no idea what I'm doing. I have an earpiece in where I have a director and producer in the back talking. I'm like, he's talking over me I, and, I, and I'm getting through the show. But that was my first show ever was not the Cardinals. It was when the A-Rod story broke of, uh, you know, when he had that interview with Peter Gammons when he admitted to the steroid use. Well, Sean, it's a shame you don't have a gift of gab. That would have helped <laughs> you. <though. laughs> yeah. You know what? If I was a little more introverted, I could have been in trouble. So worked out good. No, it's worked out really, really well. You know what? I don't want to forget something I know is really important to you and to a lot of folks who have a platform like you do as former players because I know it's still active. It's something that a lot of guys pick up during their career, and that's an opportunity to be involved in charities and to help other people and to pay it forward because guys like you understand how fortunate they are for the lives they have lived. Uh, your charity, Casey's uh, Clubhouse, the Miracle League of South Hills, means a lot to you. How's it going and what you been up to? Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's going great, man. About 10 years ago, you know, we decided uh, to um, – to raise, raise some money and, and build a Miracle League field. And if you never know what a Miracle League field is, there's about 300 probably around the country. They're for special needs kids. It's a rubberized surface uh, that you put down so, to make sure that wheelchairs can go on it. We have, at our Miracle League of the South Hills, we have over 350 kids, you know, with all different uh, types of abilities, we say, you know, and, and, and our kids are, you know, uh, just the most wonderful kids ever. Every kid has to have a buddy, so it's kind of cool. It really impacts the community because we have 350 volunteers and other people that work different things. A lot of the parents, you know, get a chance for one hour, you know, one hour on a Saturday to not have to take care of their kids. They can sit in the stands and just be a parent. And, uh, you know, it's been such a big thing for our community here out in Pittsburgh and Miracle League of the South Hills. So, you know, for me, it's uh, just one of the coolest things I've ever did. We, we, we built a... Um, we built a special needs uh, playground right off it. So it's an all-inclusive playground. So we have the field of playground. And our next step is we're going to, we're trying to raise a lot of money. We're, we're trying to raise, we need to raise $800,000. We're putting a new, big new addition on it, but we're putting a, a big, um, uh, we have to redo the field because it, it's up. It's amazing. They go through quickly, but we're also building a concession stand where we're going to use it as a job training facility for our kids. So we're going to have our kids do, we're going to interview our kids. We're going to have our kids do job applications and we're going to bring them through the process. And then we're going to partner with other companies in the area to try and uh, have our kids get jobs. So that's our next step. And we're really, really, really excited about that. Yeah. Miracle league is tremendous foundation and, and uh, hats off to you for being able to be impactful in your area and all that stuff. Uh, this major league beginnings is about first, but it's not a lot about numbers. We've touched on it a little bit. But uh, this is a way of a former teammate being able to brag on you a little bit. And I think it's, it's relative because of what your career is. Obviously, a career 300 hitter. 
But this really puts it in perspective. You faced nine Hall of Famers, and you have hit 293, 41 of 140 against Hall of Fame pitchers, and including a 333 average versus Randy Johnson, which I think is amazing. Left on left, that's not easy, Case. What's that mean to you in a sense of uh, looking back and being able to reflect on what you did in the batter's box? That means a lot, Swain. You know, it's really cool. I prided myself of facing the best players in the game and trying to, you know, attack them too. You know, I guess in your mind, you know, you, you, you have to go in there with that mentality when you're in that box because, you know, it's a one I always tell my kids it's a one-on-one wrestling match. You know, for me, I guess I pride myself on that I was able to show up every night mentally because, you know, to hit 300 in the big leagues, you know, means that you're, you're, you're consistent. And, you know, for me, it was about showing up every night and trying to really be consistent from, for my teammates and trying to win ball games. And uh, a lot of times it was facing some of those players like Randy Johnson and the Maddoxes and the Glavins of the world and Smoltz, you know, some of the best players out there, Roy Halladay and Schilling and those guys. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's really cool. And, and I, I think I prided myself most on getting ready to play every night and not wasting a pitch. Like, you know, I, 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 I always said to myself, I'll have a, I'll have, I'll, I think I'll have great numbers at the end of the year if I don't waste one pitch over 600 at bats. And, you know, for me, more often than not, that, that, was, that, that showed up for itself. You didn't waste a single moment, uh, and you still don't, which I think is yeah. a credit to, to you and to how you're raised, your family. Uh, you take full advantage of every opportunity you get to help people and to share your stories like you did with us today. And Sean, we can't thank you enough for the time. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You know, one last thing. I, it's so funny. I do think about that, I, and I think of that, the attitude of gratitude. You know, I just think, like, you know, it's our choice every day to, you know, you can look at whatever you want to look at. You're going to be, you know, have situations in your life and you can go either way you want. You know, you could choose to be the victim or you can choose, you know, fear or you could choose love and gratitude. And I know for me, like working that gratitude muscle and keeping things in perspective, you know, it's helped me along my journey. And, you know, it still does to this day, you know, raising four kids and, you know, you know, and, and, and just being in life. So, you know, that being grateful for, for everything is, uh, you know, been a big word for me. Well, we're grateful for you and your time today. Much appreciated, Sean. Hey, folks, thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.